Joe Biden falls off a bicycle and the political world goes bananas. Recession appears more and more likely and a Gallup poll shows American belief in God declining at record rates. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. The Ben Shapiro Show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. I talk about them every single show. I haven't just gone and gotten a VPN yet. What do I have to do around here to get you to take a look? Get ExpressVPN right now at expressvpn.com slash Ben. So Joe Biden's economy, it sucks. You're paying too much money for everything. Why would you pay too much money for things you don't actually have to pay too much money for? Like you can't do anything about the gas prices, but you can do something about your phone bill. The fact is Verizon, AT&T, T-Mobile, they're charging you a premium fee every month for data you don't actually use. Stop paying for things you don't use. Instead of paying 89 bucks a month to your current provider, pay 20 bucks to Pure Talk for what you actually need. I made the switch. And at the beginning, I was a little bit nervous, I'll be honest, because I was thinking, is the coverage just going to be garbage? Nope, because they actually use the same 5G towers as one of the big guys. The 5G service is that good. Switching to Pure Talk is that easy. So listen, if you've been sitting on the fence because, I don't know, the, the propaganda got to you, instead, head on over to puretalk.com, start saving some money today. Go to puretalk.com, select a plan, enter promo code Shapiro, save 50% off your very first month. You can literally be switched over to Pure Talk service in less than 10 minutes. Go to puretalk.com, enter promo code Shapiro today. Again, that's puretalk.com. Enter promo code Shapiro to get started. It's super easy to switch over. You'll be pleased with the service the same way that I am. My parents use it as well. Go to puretalk.com, enter promo code Shapiro today. So over the weekend, Joe Biden fell off a bicycle. So you might be asking yourself, why is an 80-year-old man riding a bicycle in public? Is why, why isn't he riding it, you know, in a safer area where he can be better guarded or where at least there aren't a bunch of cameras there? And the answer is that Joe Biden is attempting to prove to people that he is alive. Now, what makes this scenario funny rather than really disturbing, of course, is the fact that Joe Biden didn't really get hurt. If Joe Biden had really gotten hurt, it's sort of like when I'm at home and I hurt myself, if I'm really hurt, then it's not funny. If I am a little hurt, then my wife laughs a lot. Okay, we can, we're all allowed to laugh, guys. It's okay. It's okay to laugh at the fact that the president of the United States, who should not be bicycling in the physical and mental condition that he is apparently, that that he fell off a bike, mainly because when I first read the headline, my first reaction was, oh, that's that's terrible. Wow, I'll bet that, that, that's really dangerous. And then you watch the video. And what you realize is that Joe Biden didn't fall off a moving bike. Joe Biden fell off a stationary bike. No, not like an echelon or a Peloton or something. No, he was on an actual moving bike. And then he stops in order to talk to people. And he keels over like my six-year-old son who's too short to reach the ground properly. It's, um, it's a sight. It's a spectacle. That's for sure. I mean, he's actually become the bicycle meme. <laughs> the guy riding the bike who sticks the, the, the bar into his own spokes. That, that is Joe Biden now. We're, we're just making the memes come alive here during the Biden presidency. So here's what the video looked like. Here he comes. He's a bicycling. Okay, and you think he's moving, right? He's mo- Okay, but now he's going to stop. He's going to stop and talk to some people. And then he leans over, his foot gets stuck. Oh, and down goes Frazier. Down goes Frazier. And he rolls around on the ground for a little while. According to the New York Times, the president did not need medical attention after he fell off his bike at a state park near his vacation home in Rehoboth Beach, according to the White House. Mr. Biden often takes bike rides during the visits to his vacation home where he and his first lady, Jill Biden, were spending the weekend. On Friday, they celebrated their 45th wedding anniversary. The president had been riding his bike in Cape Henlopen State Park when he had the mishap. He did not appear to suffer any injuries. The White House said he did not require any medical attention. And then, of course, the New York Times immediately starts covering for him. Biden is only the latest American president to take a tumble on the public stage. In 1975, President Gerald Ford fell while descending the stairs from Air Force One during a visit to Australia. Well, as you'll recall, Joe Biden also fell down the stairs three separate times while going up the, up the stairs to Air Force One. Near, near the beginning of his presidency. Nearly a decade later, President Ronald Reagan slipped while climbing aboard his plane. 
Biden himself tripped last year while boarding the presidential aircraft. Biden's misfortune on wheels was not without precedent either. In 2004, George W. Bush took a spill while mountain biking at his ranch in Crawford, Texas. The next year, Bush crashed into a police officer during a bike ride in Scotland. In 2015, John Kerry, the Secretary of State, broke his leg while biking in the French Alps. Yeah, the difference is none of them were at the stage in life where a a fall in the shower in which you break a hip is the prelude to a long and drawn out time in the hospice. Like this is the biggest problem, okay? The fact is that when Ronald Reagan ran for president in 1980, everybody said he was too old. He was 69 at the time. He's a spring chicken by our modern standards. When he left office, he was younger than Joe Biden when Joe Biden took office. And this underscores the problem that Democrats have. They're looking at this geriatric old man. I mean, and, and again, this is a man who is not in great shape for a 79-year-old. I know many people who are 79 who are in wonderful, wonderful shape. Joe Biden is not one of these people. Joe Biden is in a state of clear decline. The good news is, again, he's okay. We know he's okay because after all this happened, he then went to church on Saturday evening, which was, you know, I would imagine designed in parts so that he could demonstrate to everybody that he's healthy and fine, which is fine. I'm like, I'm, I'm happy when, when people go to church. Anyway, so Joe Biden... He's walking out, and one of the reporters says, are you okay? And uh, here is what ensued. Mr. President, how are you feeling? How are you feeling, sir? Good. There you go. And then he hops, like, two times. And everybody starts laughing. Invisible pogo stick for Joe Biden, who can barely stand upright while he walks. Here's the problem for Democrats. You can prop El Cid on that horse. But if El Cid loses his balance, it becomes quite obvious to everyone that El Cid is no longer with us. And that is what the Democrats are banking on now. They're banking on a man who falls off non-moving bikes and who, to demonstrate his vitality, jumps lower than any white man has ever jumped. And that is saying a lot. That is really saying a lot. Well, none of this should be shocking. It should therefore not be shocking. There's a new poll out from Yahoo, YouGov, in which fully two-thirds of voters say that Joe Biden should not run again in 2024. 64% 64% of voters. That is nine points worse than, say, that Donald Trump should not. <laughs> According to that poll, Trump also beats Biden in a direct head-to-head matchup. In the overall convincing 64% majority that would dissuade Joe Biden, 55% say no thanks to Trump. On the yes side, Biden pulled just 21%. Trump pulled 10 points more at 31%. Even among Democrats, a majority would not encourage a 2024 run. Only 43% yes said yes, he should run. It was even worse for Biden when narrowed down to those who voted for him in 2020. The nays had it 40 to 37. In the head-to-head, Trump beats Biden 42 to 39. Now, again, I don't think that that is a wild endorsement of Trump, given the fact that, that Joe Biden is the most unpopular president in modern American history. And Donald Trump is only beating him by like two points. That's not a recommendation for Trump, but it is definitely a, a smack at Biden by the American public who's looking at this guy and they're like, wow, you know, maybe he doesn't have it. Maybe he doesn't have it. Even the folks on the left are now saying this. At The Atlantic, there was a well-trafficked article over the weekend by Mark Leibovich, who is a a left-wing journalist. says, why Biden shouldn't run in 2024? Yes, he's fit to be president right now, but he's too old for the next election. Now, um, here's the thing. He was too old last time around. And if you mentioned this, you were called ageist. If you pointed out that he was in a state of mental decline, that his faculties were leaving him, then you would be told that you were actually making fun of his stammer, which, of course, is ridiculous. No one made fun of his stammer for his entire career. And now all of a sudden you're made, or alternatively, he is not with us. I mean, the number of clips that are floating around of Joe Biden not being able to speak words out of his face hole is incredibly high because every time he goes in public, he cannot speak words out of his face hole. 
or he's falling off a bike or he's falling down the stairs. But according to Mark Leibovich at The Atlantic, let me put this bluntly, Joe Biden should not run for re-election in 2024. He's too old. Biden will turn 80 on November 20th. He'll be 82 if and when he begins his second term. The numbers just keep, get, the numbers just keep getting more ridiculous from there. It's not the 82 that's the problem. It's the 86, one swing voter said at a recent focus group, referring to the hypothetical age Biden would be at the end of that very hypothetical second term. In recent weeks, says Leibovich, I've spoken with 10 official and unofficial advisors to the administration who have spent time around the president during these deranged and divided days in America. What has this been like for him is what I've been asking them, essentially. How is he holding up? Which, again, is, is like a great question you should be asking about your president. Is he, you know, is he, is he okay? Is Joe okay? He's the president. He's the most powerful person on earth. The question shouldn't be, how is he emotionally and mentally holding up? That's what you ask about grandma in the nursing home. Yeah, you shouldn't be asking that about the president of the United States. You ask, like, is grandma getting paranoid about the help stealing her jewelry? You don't ask that about the president of the United States who's supposed to be in charge of things. They say, for the most part, that Biden is coping fine. You know, despite the 8.6% inflation, his depressed approval numbers, his vice president's worse approval numbers, the looming wipeout in the midterms, and all the other delights attending to Biden as he awaits the big round number birthday he has coming up in a few months. Here's another recurring theme. He just seems old, one senior administration told me at an official function a few weeks ago. There's nothing like the U.S. presidency to accelerate the aging process. This has been well documented, usually in those side-by-side photos of spry incoming presidents seen next to dramatically older-looking versions of themselves upon departure. Yet Biden keeps insisting that he will run again. Well, I mean, he is going to run again because here's the thing. They cannot let him not run again. What are they going to do? Have a knockdown dragout primary between Pete Buttigieg and Kamala Harris? Those massively inspiring figures. And meanwhile, the Wall Street Journal is a similar piece talking about the fact that the Democrats do not know what to do. That it turns out that when you place the country in the hands of essentially an empty vessel and all he had to do was just stand still and he can't. He just keeps teetering over. When that happens, things start to look real ugly. According to the Wall Street Journal, Democrats expected Joe Biden to run in 2024. They're less sure if he should. Democratic insiders in Washington and key primary states expect Biden to follow through on his intention to stand for re-election and appear to have little appetite for casting him aside. But they expressed concerns about his advanced age and persistently low poll numbers. The White House has repeatedly said that Biden, 79, the oldest president to be sworn into office, intends to run for re-election. A person familiar with the president's advisor's thinking said they are planning on him running and that the private conversations have matched the public statements. But Democrats are starting to have their doubts. Some potential candidates are visiting key presidential voting states and building a national profile. Key Democrats said they doubted many top-tier candidates would try to push Kamala Harris aside. See, this is the problem with picking an affirmative action candidate like Kamala Harris. When you do this, you look like a racist if you say, I don't think she's going to be good, and then you run against her. Her own poll numbers aren't better than Biden's. Democrats have a mixed view of how strong she would be leading a ticket. No, they don't. That's a lie. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's not true. Democrats do not have a mixed view of how Kamala Harris would be leading the ticket. They're in a state of full sheer panic at the idea of Kamala Harris leading a ticket. This is a a woman who imploded in the primary so badly she dropped out before California after having a brief poll lead against all the other Democrats. This woman's so charmless. She makes Voldemort look like a a hostess at a Hilton. And it's just, it's absurd. And and here we are with them saying that they they, have mixed, they're not mixed feelings. That's what you say when you're talking about Kamala Harris. I have mixed feelings. You don't want to be a racist. Yeah, I don't know, I have mixed feelings. Some noted the party's nomination fights in 2016 and 2020 included strong runs by Bernie Sanders, who has ruled out running against Biden, but not against Harris. Speculation among Democrats has touched on other 2020 contenders. Amy Klobuchar, who did amazing, and Pete Buttigieg, 
whose main draw is, again, that he took a paternity leave for two months and no one noticed. As well as Biden infrastructures are Mitch Landrew and Governor's Phil Murphy of New Jersey. Phil Murphy of New Jersey almost lost a gubernatorial race to a person whose name I don't know in New Jersey. And Gavin Newsom of California, who is subjected to a recall vote in California. But there's no obvious person party leaders would see as the best pick if neither Biden nor Harris topped the ticket. J.B. Pritzker, all 800 pounds of him, made a weekend trip to New Hampshire, the state that typically hosts the second nominating contest in the presidential primary after Iowa's caucuses. Based on what, his massively great governing record in Chicago, where 87 people get shot every weekend? Are we talking about his massively great governing record on COVID, where Illinois has one of the worst per 100,000 stats on death in the nation adjusted for age? He gave a keynote address at the state's Democratic Party annual convention on Saturday and on Friday attended its splashy annual fundraiser. I don't know if this is 2024, 2028, 2032, but listen, we're grateful to have you in New Hampshire, said Representative Annie Custer, Democrat of New Hampshire, eliciting laughter from a packed Manchester ballroom. J.B. Pritzker, come on, come on. Good luck to all of you. So no, they are stuck with Joe Biden. And this is a problem for them because as it turns out, Joe Biden is a terrible president. By the way, there is some one person waiting in the wings. Hillary Clinton's doing an awful lot of interviews these days. Hillary Clinton, who will only be, I mean, let, let's face it, she, she's an elderly woman at this point, but she's only 74. Compared to Joe Biden, she's a spring chicken. Compared to Joe Biden, she's the youth movement in the Democratic Party. So Hillary Clinton, over the weekend, she said we're on the precipice of losing our democracy. Is one of her fondest lines, because when she lost, then it was as though democracy was, was lost. She says, we are standing on the precipice of losing our democracy and everything that everybody else cares about then goes out the window. Look, the most important thing is to win the next election. The alternative is so frightening that whatever does not help you win should not be a priority. And she was talking about how the Democratic Party is moving too far to the left and she is needed in order to step into the gap, basically. So here's the problem for Joe Biden. The recession is coming. The Joe session is here. According to the Wall Street Journal, Economists surveyed by the Wall Street Journal have dramatically raised the probability of recession. They now put it at 44% in the next 12 months, a level usually seen only on the brink of or during actual recessions. The likelihood of a recession has increased rapidly this year as inflationary pressures remain strong and the Federal Reserve took increasingly aggressive action to tame them. And by the way, you think that the mortgage rates are high right now? They're like 5.78%. Wait until the Federal Reserve keeps raising those rates. It's going to be 7.589% for mortgages. And then we'll see how that real estate market is doing. Economists, on average, put the probability of the economy being in recession sometime in the next 12 months at 28% in the journal's last survey in April and 18% in January. So they're, they're just catching up. Okay, but the reality, I wouldn't be surprised if we're already in recession. Because the way that we measure recession is two straight quarters of negative growth. Well, the problem is you don't know if you're in a recession until you're already in it. Meaning that Q2 only ends in June. Right, The end of June is the end of Q2. We're not going to know the stats from that until July. So we could be in the middle of a recession right now and not even know it. Since the journal began asking the question in mid-2005, a 44% recession probability is seldom seen outside of an actual recession. In December 2007, the month the 2007 to 2009 recession began, economists assigned a 38% probability. In February 2020, when the last recession began, they assigned a 26% probability. The Fed is slamming on the brakes. It's hard to avoid a recession in this situation, said Michael Moran, chief economist at Daiwa Capital Markets, America, Inc., the latest survey showed a market increase in economists' forecast for inflation. They see ending the year at 7%, up from 5.5% in the April survey. The poll of 53 economists was conducted June 16th to 17th. That was after the Fed voted to sharply raise the benchmark rates. And now they are talking about another 75 basis point jump. 
According to the Wall Street Journal, Federal Reserve Governor Christopher Waller said if the economy performs in line with his expectations, he would support raising interest rates by another 75 basis points at the central bank's meeting next month. He said the Fed is all in on establishing price stability. Waller said the Fed had taken a significant step toward achieving its 2% inflation goal this last week when it raised its benchmark rate by 0.75 percentage points to a range between 1.5 and 1.75. But that's not correct. They're not even close to hemming in inflation at this point. It's going to be 4% by the end of the year at this rate, the the interest rates. And they're going to have to go higher than that to really kill this thing. Meanwhile, the White House is in a state of complete disarray because the problem is that as the inflation has risen, the only solutions they have on the table to cure the inflation, aside from the Federal Reserve raising interest rates, the, the only way they can deal with this is by creating worse inflationary problems. So perfect example of how this administration has no clue. By the way, the way that you actually solve an inflationary problem aside from raising the interest rates is you free up production. You make it easier for people to produce. You get rid of regulations. You lower the taxes. You make it easier for people to ramp up production so as to meet demand. When demand outstrips supply this dramatically because there are too many dollars floating around the system, you get inflation. There are only two ways to curb that inflation. One is to lower the amount of demand, which means a recession. And the other is to increase the amount of supply. Joe Biden has failed. He has failed utterly to raise the amount of supply available. This is particularly true in the energy markets. So now what is the White House doing? They're going to ramp up the inflation in the energy markets. According to the Washington Post, the White House's exploration of gas rebate cards is complicated by chip shortages. <laughs> oh, man, you got to laugh just in a cynical way at the fact that like, what if we, in, you know, we've got shortages on gas. So what if we just cut checks to people to buy gas? But sorry, we can't do it because we have a chip shortage also. Oh, well, well, well done. Maybe you should sign people, I don't know, a chip rebate. We'll just keep doing this. We'll just keep subsidizing. That won't raise inflation. According to the Washington Post, senior White House aides are exploring new ideas to respond to high gas prices and are looking again at some they had previously discarded. Desperate to show the administration is trying to address voter frustration about rising costs at the pump. Those efforts, though, come amid early signs of a broader slowdown in the economy, which could ease inflationary pressures, but also lead to higher joblessness and slower growth. On Friday, oil prices suddenly dropped to a four-week low, a decline likely to push down gas prices, the latest indicator of a potential recession, after the Federal Reserve raised interest rates this week to try to contain inflation. So what exactly is Biden doing? They're taking a second look at whether the federal government could send rebate cards out to millions of American drivers to help them pay at gas stations, an idea they examined months ago before ruling it out. Aides had found that shortages in the U.S. chip industry would make it hard to produce enough rebate cards to people familiar with the matter said. White House officials also feared there would be no way to prevent consumers from using them for purchases other than gasoline, according to another person familiar with the discussions. Even if the administration embraces the proposal, it would probably require congressional approval and face long odds among lawmakers wary of spending more money. But again, their only their only answer is spend more money or invoke in ridiculous fashion the Defense Production Act, which is completely unnecessary and also unlikely to actually result in what they want it to result in here. Their policies led to this. And so all they have left is what if we throw money at the problem and or yell at the company? So we've got Joe Biden's economic advisor, Gene Sperling, saying, you know, we're at war, so oil companies should really step up. Yeah, yell at them. That's going to solve the problem. We are at a time of war. This is not a time to be focusing on record profit margins and stock buybacks as opposed to doing everything you can to expand refinery capacity so that we have lower prices at the pump. And again, this is a time of war. And the president sent a very clear message on that. He's having a secretary of energy, uh, Secretary Granholm, meet with the major uh, refineries and oil companies next week. 
And I think he made pretty clear that he has used a lot of emergency powers so far and that there's nothing off the table. There's nothing off the table other than allowing people to drill and promoting investment in actual sources of energy. But no, he can't do that. It would offend his base. It would offend all the people who are propping him up on that horse. See, this is the problem is that Joe Biden only stays on that horse because his ideological allies prop him up on that horse. And the minute he removes those props, he falls off the horse. That bicycle heels right over unless there's a group of phalanx of people around the bicycle holding him there like they're his physical training wheels. And the minute he undermines those people, they walk away and that bicycle just falls over. That is the problem for Joe Biden. Meanwhile, they need him to stay on that bicycle because if he ain't on that bicycle, Kamala Harris is getting on that bicycle. And I promise you, Kamala Harris's bicycle is not a bicycle. It's a unicycle because she's a clown. Listen, all Joe Biden really wants to do is want to bike around. He wants to sleep. But here's the thing. I don't know if Joe Biden has a Helix Sleep mattress. If he doesn't, he should because everyone should. I've had my Helix Sleep mattress for years and it is great. Helix Sleep has a quiz. It takes just two minutes to complete and matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. Why would you buy a mattress made for someone else? With Helix, you're getting a mattress you know will be perfect for the way you sleep. Everybody's unique. Helix knows that. They have several different mattress models to choose from. They've got soft, medium, and firm mattresses. Mattress is great for cooling you down if you sleep hot. Mattress is great for spinal alignment to prevent morning aches and pains. They've even got that Helix Plus mattress for plus-size sleepers. I took that Helix quiz. I was matched with a model that is firm and very breathable because I tend to heat up a lot at night. I love my Helix sleep mattress. You will too. Head on over to helixsleep.com slash men. Take their two-minute sleep quiz. They'll match you to a customized mattress that'll give you the best sleep of your life. Ten-year warranty. You can try out for 100 nights risk-free. They'll pick it up for you if you don't love it, but you will. Helix even has financing options and flexible payment plans, so a great night's sleep is never far away for a limited time. Helix is offering up to 350 bucks off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners, which is an amazing deal. This is their best offer yet. Hurry on over to helixsleep.com slash Ben. That's helixsleep.com slash Ben. Meanwhile, you got George Stephanopoulos pressing Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, over whether she and Joe Biden are too optimistic about the economy. And, uh, and here is um, Janet Proudfoot directly from the Shire explaining. Turns out that you and the president, maybe even the Fed, were too optimistic about inflation last year. Concerned that may be happening again with your, uh, si- your, your suggestion that a recession is not inevitable? Over time, I certainly expect inflation to come down. And I think it's possible to have that happen in the context of a strong labor market. Well, you expect it to come down, but prices are going to go up before they go down, right? Again, most economists expect the inflation rate to move up to around 7% by the end of the year. Does that sound about right to you? She's got no answer to this, except that she's going to happy talk this thing. Meanwhile, one of the big problems here in the energy markets is that it turns out that the war in Ukraine does not have a natural terminus. Now, that would have been you know, just par for the course, because the fact is once Russia invaded, it was always going to turn into a war of attrition. I said this from the very earliest days of the war, that if Russia did not take over Ukraine entirely, this was going to turn at best into a long lasting war of attrition. That was the most probable possibility here, which means you need to ramp up domestic oil production. That if you're worried about economic energy supply, you need more production. Well, now that's exactly what's happening. Russia, according to the New York Times, has been tightening the noose around the most important cities in Ukraine's east. By the way, Ukraine's east is the oil-rich region of Ukraine. The, the, the most useful natural resource in Ukraine is the oil that all exists in the area that Russia is seeking to control. According to the New York Times, Russian forces appeared poised to tighten the noose around thousands of Ukrainian troops near two strategically important cities in the fiercely contested Donbass region of eastern Ukraine on Sunday, mounting an assault on Ukrainian front lines that forced Ukraine to rush reinforcements to the area. 
On a day of fighting that put even territory thought to be securely in Ukrainian hands in play, Prime Minister Boris Johnson of Britain and the NATO Secretary General Jans Stoltenberg warned the war could grind on for years. They urged Ukraine's Western allies to settle in for the long haul as Russia moved aggressively to wear Ukraine down through Mr. Johnson writing in the Sunday Times of London called a campaign of attrition. Again, this was expected. Pretending this was not expected is silly. Russia was not going to surrender. They weren't going to just move off the battlefields in Ukraine, particularly not in the areas they've already spent years consolidating. They've been occupying the eastern Donbass and Crimea since 2014. It is now 2022. They're not just going to take off. By the way, Russia is now reaping record oil numbers. Why? Because it turns out that they're selling to China. They're selling to India. And then, by the way, you know where a lot of the West is getting its oil? From India. So we're actually using India as a pass-through for Russian oil (laughs) in many ways. And what you're seeing again, is that the outcome of bad domestic policy is weak foreign policy. And so when that foreign policy suddenly hardens, the domestic policy's issues become clear. Perfect example is in Germany. So according to the Wall Street Journal, Germany is now stepping up measures to conserve its gas as Russia slows its supply to Europe. So what are they doing? They're firing up the coal plants again. Remember, Germany was supposed to be the green community's ideal state. Germany, it was was the greatest place. Germany was all going to be powered by the wind and the sun. And those. Okay, here's the problem. When you outsource your energy production to Russia and when you outsource your energy policy to a whiny and, and luxury Swedish teenager on the other, you end up with crap policy and high energy prices. Who could have foreseen? Who could have foreseen that when you sink billions upon billions of dollars into green energy boondoggles at the behest of a teenager who shouts at you, how dare you, but knows nothing about actual energy policy? And then when you fill in that gap by bringing in dirty, cheap oil from the Russians, that that might have some negative side effects. Like they're lighting up the coal plants. <laughs> I'm sorry to break it to you. Actual physical reality exists in which coal plants are significantly more efficient than the wind. I, like the, the fact that this even has to be said, the science denial on the left is so strong. It is so strong. I'm sorry that carbon-based energy is more efficient than all of the green energy sources that you guys have come up with. I'm sorry about that. I wish it weren't, really, I wish it weren't true because I also like the idea of the wind and the sun being able to power all of us and getting rid of the idea that we have to dredge stuff up from the earth and it's, it's disproportionately in areas like, like the Middle East or, or in Eastern Ukraine, places that are global hotspots. It would be really nice. It would. It would, be, it would be nice if unicorn farts powered the earth. But they don't. And yet you guys are the ones who are advocates for science because you don't understand science. You're now firing up the coal plants again the minute that you have to shut off Russia. According to the Wall Street Journal, Germany will restart coal-fired power plants and offer incentives for companies to curb natural gas consumption, marking a new step in the economic war between Europe and Russia. Berlin unveiled the measure Sunday after Russia cut gas supplies to Europe last week as it punched back against European sanctions and military support for Ukraine. The steps, part of a broader strategy initiated after the invasion of Ukraine, aim to reduce gas consumption and and divert gas deliveries to storage facilities to ensure that the country has enough reserves to get through the winter. People can be freezing in Germany because of their crap energy policy. Russia's gradual cutting of gas supplies has raised the specter of potential fuel shortage if Europe goes into winter with less than full stowages. It has also raised prices, putting additional pressure on economies that are already struggling with high inflation and rising borrowing costs and face the prospect of recession. Nord Stream, the main channel for Russian fields Europe, has reported a sharp drop in gas supplies. Robert Habeck, Germany's economic minister, he says it's obvious Putin's strategy is to rattle us, drive up prices, divide us. We won't allow that. We'll defend ourselves resolutely, precisely, and thoughtfully. Again, if the West actually cared about preserving itself, it would not pursue stupid, self-defeating policy. This is true everywhere, from economic policy to social policy to military policy. 
And yet we have entire forces inside the West that are more concerned with their ideological utopias than the actual on-the-ground practice of politics that makes people's lives better and strengthens the West. And so it is no wonder that when push comes to shove, you have to go right back to the things you decried as evil and terrible five minutes ago. And if you don't, by the way, you will pay the price. And that's what's happening to Emmanuel Macron over in France. According to the Wall Street Journal, French President Emmanuel Macron has now lost his majority in the National Assembly as voters in France's parliamentary elections delivered a blow to his pro-business agenda and positioned leaders on both the far left and the far right to wield unprecedented influence. Results showed that Macron's party renaissance and its allies won 245 seats in the 577-seat National Assembly. That gives them the most seats in France's lower house, but not enough to retain the majority that allowed the French leader to steamroll the opposition during his first term. The coalition, led by far-left leader Jean-Luc Mélenchon, who's a socialist, whose party forged an alliance with French socialists, communists, and Greens, won 131 seats. Marine Le Pen's far-right national rally got 89. The conservative Les Republicains and its allies won 61 seats. So when you measure that out, what you see actually is 150 seats for the so-called far-right, 131 seats for the socialists, and 245 seats for... Macron. And this is going to be the pattern in the Western world. When you have a group of elites who seem completely disconnected from the actual needs and desires of their citizenry, because they are so attached to their own ideological agenda, and they are so interested in propping up, on the one hand, the notion that, that they are, are capitalists while catering to socialistic ideas about energy or socialistic ideas about redistribution of wealth or socialistic and racialist ideas about how people ought to get jobs. When you do that, you undermine yourself. And people say, okay, we're either going to go far left or we're going to go far right. That's, by the way, exactly what just happened in Colombia. So in Colombia, you actually had, for the first time, the very dangerous stuff, the election of a leftist named Gustavo Petro, a former member of M19, the guerrilla movement that has vowed profound social and economic change. He won Colombia's president on Sunday, the first progressive to do so in the country's history. Petro beat construction magnate Rodolfo Hernandez with an unexpectedly wide margin of some 716,000 votes. The two had been technically tied in pulling ahead of the vote. Petro, a former mayor of the capital Bogota and current senator, has pledged to fight inequality with free university education, pension reforms, and high taxes on unproductive land. He won 51% to Hernandez's 47%. Petro's proposal, especially a ban on new oil projects, have startled some investors through his promise to respect current contracts. So, again, he is a, a radical leftist. And he has now taken over power in Colombia. This is what you're going to see. You're going to continue to see a polarization in politics that is led because of an establishment that has refused to take into account the concerns of actual human beings and instead has pursued an ideological agenda that they believe is forward thinking, when in reality, what they should have just been doing is being productive, doing the productive things. If you're in favor of the free market, be in favor of the free market. If you're in favor of good energy policy, be in favor of good energy policy. If you're in favor of a strong military, be in favor of a strong military. When you wildly vacillate between your ideological commitment to the hard left and your sort of semi-acknowledgement that the hard left's policies aren't going to work, what you end up with is the worst of all available worlds. And that's exactly what you're seeing right now. By the way, the left in the United States is beginning to panic because it looks as though the Supreme Court may be looking at striking down the EPA's authority to simply regulate climate using bills that have nothing to do with it. And so a lot of that conflict is about to break out in the open, the environmentalist conflict in 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 the United States as well. According to the New York Times, within days, the conservative majority on the Supreme Court is expected to hand down a decision that could severely limit the federal government's authority to reduce carbon dioxide from power plants, pollution that is dangerously heating the planet. But it's only a start. The case, West Virginia versus EPA, is the product of a coordinated multi-year strategy by Republican attorneys general, conservative legal activists, and their funders, several with ties to oil and gas, to use the judicial system to rewrite environmental law. No, that's wrong. 
What they're actually doing is saying you should interpret environmental law the way that it was written. Because we need to get back to something resembling a practical energy policy. So things are coming apart economically and things are coming apart militarily. And also it turns out things are coming apart culturally. We'll get to that in a second. First, let's talk about the fact that, you know, back on the economy for, for just a second. Right now, you might be in some economic trouble because you look at your finances and you think to yourself, man, how do I save money? Well, you really need to talk to my friends over at American Financing. Your home is much more than the place you live. It's actually probably your best investment tool, especially these days. After all, home values are still up 20% of where the market was just a few months back. This is a big deal because if you're able to access that equity as cash at incredibly low interest rates, it makes it easier to pay off that higher interest debt, fund those home renovations, add to your savings account, do whatever you need because it's actually your money. Now, this might be something you're interested in. You should at least run through the options with my friends over at American Financing. They're going to provide you a free mortgage review so you can understand all the options before you move forward. There's no pressure. They're not going to do the hard sell. No upfront or hidden fees. That's not what they do. Instead, they take the time to get to know you. They identify your personal financial goals, and then they find the perfect loan to achieve your goals. It could mean savings of up to 12000 bucks a year, but only if you choose American financing. Just give them a call at 866-721-3300. That's 866-721-3300. Or visit AmericanFinancing.net, NMLS 182334, All right, folks, lots of big stuff happening here at The Daily Wire. We've already got the most talked about documentary in America, What is a Woman? It is the top documentary in the country. If you've seen the movie, now's your chance to read the book. It came out last week. It's available on Amazon, wherever you buy books. Also, we have the movie of the summer, Terror on the Prairie, even better than Lightyear, starring Gina Carano. Disney tried to cancel her and, uh, and then make a bunch of LGBT content for kids. We uncanceled Gina, and now you can see her like you've never seen her before in this riveting Western. It'll keep you on the edge of your seat. There's never been a better time to become a Daily Wire member. Every time you subscribe, you not only make a leftist cry, but you invest in the future of conservative entertainment and documentaries that challenge the woke narrative. All this stuff is really expensive. Unlike all of our competitors, we are not publicly traded. We do this all off of cash flow, which means that we need your help. Your membership means you can also access our entire library of content. That includes What is a Woman, Terror on the Prairie, my book club that comes out every single month, debunked, so much more. Head on over to dailywire.com slash subscribe to join us today. That's dailywire.com slash subscribe. And man, we have some big announcements coming up for our members. I'm just telling you, you're going to want to subscribe today for what's coming soon. Dailywire.com slash subscribe. You're listening to the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. And so the dead consensus that you are seeing, whether it's economic or military, in which basically there, there is a false unity of the center, in which the censor claimed, yeah, well, we like free markets, but free markets need to be governed by us. We like to be interventionists on foreign policy, but not enough to actually win wars. You know, we like a green energy policy, but not enough to actually, you know, undergo the sacrifices to do the green energy policy. We're just going to tell you that, and then we're going to ship in cheap oil from Russia. Right? Those sorts of dead consensuses have been failing all over planet Earth. And there's one more dead consensus that has been failing. And this is the product of a political class that actually does not believe what it says it believes. And that dead consensus is social in the United States. The dead consensus is we are going to pursue very progressive social policy that is directly opposed to traditional Judeo-Christian tradition while claiming that we love Judeo-Christian tradition and that we love the church and we love God. That consensus cannot hold because there are people who actually read the Bible and take it seriously. And then there are people who do not. There are people who actually believe in God and take God seriously on a regular day-to-day -day level. And then there are people who are not. And when the people who govern you pee on your leg and tell you it's raining, when they tell you that they favor a bunch of policy that no traditional religion approves, but don't worry, they're religious people, that consensus is unlikely to hold. And that's exactly what you're seeing in the United States today. Religious adherence on the right continues to maintain. Religious adherence on the left has dropped off an absolute cliff, and it's exacerbating the culture gap that we're seeing in the United States. So there's a fascinating and disturbing poll from Gallup 
It shows the vast majority of U.S. adults believe in God, but the 81% who do so is down six percentage points from 2017. It is currently the lowest on Gallup's trend. Between 1944 and 2011, more than 90% of Americans believed in God. 17% of Americans say they do not believe in God. Now, this is a, a, an important question, not just because your personal beliefs about the divine matter, which I believe that they do on both a spiritual and a, and a mental level, but the the idea of a society that can thrive and survive without some sort of hardcore moral absolutes about good and evil. There's never been a society that's ever survived for the long term based on the moral relativism of people utilizing the power that falls into their hands. It just does not work that way. I may not be a New Testament scholar, but when Pilate says to Jesus, what is truth? That is a pretty good indicator of power that is run amok. And that is what we are seeing currently in American society because when you deny the possibility of the divine, when you deny the idea that there are there is a, an absolute right and wrong, which to me, I, I've never been able to understand the argument that you can define an absolute right and wrong apart from the idea of a moral creator. The reason I say that is because evolutionary biology does not lead to the idea of absolute truth. It leads to what is useful. It leads to the idea that there is a social morality that may be useful from time to time, but it does not speak to what is absolutely right and absolutely wrong. It's a question I asked Sam Harris. I still don't think that, that he or any other atheist advocate has given a satisfactory answer to that. There are individual atheists who are wonderful people. I know many atheists who are more moral than many religious people I know. That's not the question. The question is whether you can build an entire edifice of civilizational values on the basis of there is no God and you and I will make up morality as we go. Okay, so here is what this poll finds. What it finds is that this breaks down really, really strong on political lines, belief in God. So here are the changes in belief in God by subgroup. Okay, so there has been a major decline among women from 90% to 83% among women. You see a decline among non-Hispanic white people and much smaller among people of color, by the way. You see a 6% decline among non-Hispanic white people, 4% decline among people of color, massive decline among young people. And by the way, is it any wonder that young people are now suffering from severe mental illness, suicidal ideation? We've removed all boundaries, lessons, roles, rules, all the things that hem them in and teach them to be a useful human being. Those are all gone for young people. It is not a coincidence that you see belief in, I mean, the chart is very obvious. The belief in God among young people has gone like this. It is just straight down. And then if you look at the identification, the, the kind of self-worshipful identification as a member of an alternative, gender, sexuality, that has gone straight up in, in coincidence. It is, it, that is not a coincidence. I mean, at the same time. And suicidal ideation is following the ID. Now, is all of this just a, a, a big coincidence? I, I really, really think not. Among 18 to 29-year-olds, only 68% say they believe in God. That is down 10% from just 2017. And when you break it down by politics, what you see is that there is a huge gap. 95% okay, of conservatives say they believe in God in 2017. 94% of conservatives say they believe in God today. That is a 1% decline. It's within the margin of error. It is not statistically significant. Among moderates, 88% to 86%. Again, 2% margin of error, not statistically significant. Liberal, 73 to 62%. That is the biggest decline except of, of any group. Biggest decline, except for Democrats. Democrats went from 84% to 72%. Why? Because it turns out that all the Democratic politicians who pay lip service to belief in God or belief in Judeo-Christian traditions or any of that stuff, they were lying. They were lying. They don't believe that stuff. They actually just say that stuff so that moderates think that they believe that stuff, but they don't believe that stuff. Like, do you think that Nancy Pelosi believes in the doctrine of the Catholic Church? I have serious doubts. Do you think Joe Biden believes in the doctrine of the Catholic Church? 
He does not. He claims that he's a religious Catholic. And if by that he means that he believes in a creator, he, he, he may believe in a creator of some sort. He certainly doesn't believe in the creator who, uh, who hands it over either the Old or the New Testament. Because if he did, he would have very different. I mean, the Bible is not silent on these issues. The reason I point this out is because when you have a ruling class that is lying to you, seeking to have it all ways, what you end up with is a breakdown. And that breakdown is being exacerbated these days. The culture wars are very much in the offing. And they're going to get worse because the country is now basically saying, okay, let's be honest about this. Are you a, are you a God believer who believes in traditional Judeo-Christian ideals? Or are you a person who believes that teaching God and traditional Judeo-Christian ideals to children is dangerous for them? There's a stark difference between how people on the hard left, the atheistic hard left, look at the raising of children and people who are in the traditional Judeo-Christian right view the raising of children. We on the traditional Judeo-Christian right believe, and I think moderates believe this too, that kids need rules, that gender roles are important. They believe that boys and girls are different. They believe that there are actual moral differences in how you conduct your sex life and how you identify as a human being and what your duties are. And people on the left believe that the best thing that you can do for a child is remove all duties from them and all rules and all roles. And anything that teaches them about this stuff is actually a form of bigotry that you're indoctrinating into kids. I will fully admit, I'm indoctrinating my kids into a belief system I think is important for them. The left says that that's bad. I think that the left is bad because I think that the left is indoctrinating them into a belief system that is making kids more confused, that is creating additional levels of suicidal ideation, that is leading them to unhappiness, that is leading them to life choices that do not end anything remotely like in fulfillment. Uh, and, and, and that conflict is not bridgeable. It really is not. And it's only going to get worse. As decline in God overall declines, but it's again, it's located among one group. It's very important to look at where these declines are located. They're not located among conservatives. They're not even located among moderates. They're located among people on the liberal left, period, end of story. By the way, same thing with LGBTQ identification. It is located almost solely and completely in liberal areas with high populations in blue cities. That is where this is happening. It is not a coincidence that every celebrity you see traveling the circuit now has a child who identifies as they, them. But you don't know in your conservative town in Indiana, one person whose child identifies this way. That is not a shock. And it shouldn't be a shock because all this stuff is geographically located and it's going to get worse because, again, you had an establishment that didn't believe in the principles it supposedly believed in. And so that breaks down. And so what you're going to see is this take, you're going to see these conflicts at the tip of the iceberg. You're going to see the, the sort of stuff that's visible to the light of day, but you have to look at what's at the bottom of the iceberg, which is this massive ideological conflict that has been exacerbated by a leadership class that refused to take a stand on the key issues or actively lied about its own position on those issues. So this is what you see, for example, in Fairfax County. Apparently, a Fairfax County school board has now announced that it wants to punish students for, quote unquote, malicious misgendering. Malicious misgendering? By which I mean that a boy comes into school, says he's a girl, and you say, no, you're a boy. That's malicious misgendering. We're now going to punish students for this? Here's Fox News reporting. The Fairfax County School Board voted Thursday night and made it possible for students as young as fourth graders to be suspended for, quote, malicious misgendering. Now, the terminology here can be confusing and simply not having a good filter as a kid could get you in trouble in Fairfax Public Schools. The rule was actually there last year to not go as young as fourth grade, and it had deliberately, inadvertently, language that sort of gave an out should you have a child that simply didn't have a filter, didn't fully understand. Now it's a hard law and that's got parents upset. All of society is now supposed to change its standards so as not to say true things about people. 
This is, again, these sorts of issues, they seem ridiculous on their face because they are ridiculous that we have even come to this point. But that is where we are. And the left insists that we go along with this. This is why, for example, they say that Florida is a terrible, no good, very bad place when it comes to transition and trans kids. The truth is that Florida's policy looks actually a lot more like Europe's than New Jersey's policy does. This is a point that's being made by Lisa Selen Davis, the author of a book called Tomboy, a nonfiction book about gender nonconforming girls that grew out of an op-ed that she published in the New York Times. She wrote a piece over Wesley Yang's Substack. And what she pointed out is that when it looks like, when, when you look at what Europe is doing about gender transition and all the rest of this, Europe looks a lot more like Florida. It's banning experimental treatments on kids. It's looking at the policy of the state of Florida and saying, this looks a lot more like Denmark than New Jersey does. New Jersey is like way out of line on this sort of stuff. These conflicts are only going to get worse. And they're also going to get worse when it comes to abortion. Now, the left has gotten more and more radical over time on the issue of abortion. They used to, as I say, when I was a younger person, when I was like 16, 15, in the 90s, what, what you were looking at is a Democratic Party that said safe, legal, and rare. Abortion was a tragedy, but sometimes you needed it. Wasn't a very good argument, but at least it was an emotionally appealing argument and acknowledged the great evil that was being done in abortion. Now, what the left says is, we need to ramp this stuff up. Abortion is an active good. Not only is it an active good, it's such an active good that we have to actively talk about what an active good it is on Father's Day. So first of all, I just want to make a point about Father's and, and Mother's Day. And when it comes to Father's Day and, and Mother's Day, I do not understand why the left celebrates these days. I don't. They have no distinction between mother and father. In order to celebrate Mother's and Father's Day, you have to explain what a father is and why a father is important. In order to celebrate Mother's Day, you have to explain what a mother is and why a mother is important. You have to explain why a child needs a father as opposed to a second mother or why a child needs a mother as opposed to a second father. I'm always amused by people on the left who get very offended when you point out that they have no actual ideological ground to stand or moral ground to stand on when they say celebrate fathers. Why? They celebrate fatherlessness. They don't care. It's not an issue to them. I mean, for example, Tiffany Cross over at MSNBC actively says that absentee black fathers, that's a myth. It's not even an issue. And so I'm not even sure why they celebrate Father's Day to start. Georgia Republican senatorial candidate Herschel Walker has consistently criticized absentee black fathers. This is a pervasive myth that has been disproven, by the way. But it turns out that uh, until now, he's never publicly acknowledged three of his own children. Earlier this week, the Daily Beast reported that Walker had a second son. And wait, there's more. Walker eventually confirmed that he has a total of four children. Happy Father's Day, Herschel Walker. And well, hold up. Absentee fathers in the black community is a racist myth that's been repeatedly debunked? Uh, no, it has not. There are a lot. The single motherhood rate in the black community is in excess of 70% by the latest available statistics. So no, that is not a persistent myth. But, you know, again, the, here, the, so the left celebrates Father's Day, but the way they celebrate Father's Day is by encouraging dads to fight for abortion because nothing says be a great father like don't have kids, kill the kids in the womb. Here is W. Camu Bell, who does shows that no one watches on CNN headline news. You can view them at the airport if you are forced to stay there for 12 hours and all they have on the TV is CNN and there's no remote. I know because it's happened to me. It was one of the worst experiences of uh, my adult life. Anyway, here's W. Camu Bell making a Father's Day PSA about why it's great to kill babies. This Father's Day, give him what he really needs. Not a home brewing kit, not socks. Give him safe and legal access to abortion. See, the majority of people seeking abortions are already parents. They know it's right for their families. They would know if having another kid would send them spiraling into poverty. It definitely would. Oh my God. Funny you should mention God, because there's literally no mention of the word abortion in here. 
Just like in here, there's no mention of how the state is going to help these families if they force to bear these children. It's almost like this is just a way for a few fragile men to use religion to control our bodies. Hold on, honey. Daddy's doing a PSA. Daddy's doing a PSA about how if we had killed you before birth, it would have been totally cool, honey. You know, I'm glad you're here now, but I don't know about tomorrow. And what in the... This is, this is what happened. Okay, a society without God, this is the direction you go. There are consequences. A society that worships self and hedonistic fulfillment at the expense of objective truth, like there's a baby that is growing inside you. This is, this is what you get. And it's only going to get worse from here. It is not going to get better from here. According to Breitbart, of the radical pro-abortion group Jane's Revenge is planning more acts of domestic terrorism when the U.S. Supreme Court's decision on Roe versus Wade is revealed, dubbing a night of rage, an autonomous call to action against patriarchal supremacy. The group posted its plans on the Anarchist Library website at the end of May in expectation of the ruling expected somewhere in Jude. Here are some experts from the excerpts from their manifesto. Quote, this is an event that should inspire rage in millions of people who can get pregnant. <laughs> Women don't exist anymore, guys. There are people who can get pregnant. Hmm. And yet the response thus far has been tepid. We've agonized over this apparent absence of indignation. Why is it that we are so afraid to unleash hell upon those destroying us? It's destroying a woman if you say she has to have the baby. It's not destroying the baby if she actively destroys the baby. Then says Jane's revenge. Whatever form your fury takes, the first step is feeling it. The next step is carrying that anger out into the world and expressing it physically. Man, this is such pure leftism distilled. That what the world is about is your emotions. And then the next step is emote, emote publicly and do the thing you feel. This is your call. To, this is what life is all about. Doing what your emotions tell you like a, like a small baby that I would kill if, if it were in the womb, apparently. The manifesto concludes to those who work to oppress us. If abortion isn't safe, you aren't either. We are everywhere. By the way, I, I'm aware of no serious investigation by the Merrick Garland DOJ into the spate of attacks on pro-life centers that have been occurring across the country. So as, as the consensus about God and morality declines in the United States, driven entirely by one side, because remember, conservative identification is still where it was. Moderate identification on God is still where it was. This is being driven by one side. This is... If you want to talk about asymmetric polarization on the issue of God, it is asymmetric polarization. As that continues, you're going to see the left pushing harder and harder. Now, here's the thing. The backlash is coming because it always comes. That backlash is taking some rather interesting forms. So the most interesting form that the backlash took over the weekend is the film Lightyear completely died at the box office. I mean, just a complete dog at the box office. They spent $200 million on this film. The expected initial gross of this film over the three-day Father's Day weekend was a good weekend to take your kids to the movies. It was very hot outside here down south. Great time. Dad takes the kids to the movies for Father's Day. No one did. How badly did Lightyear underperform? The low-end estimate for Lightyear was that it was supposed to earn $76 million over the three-day weekend. The high-end estimate was $100 million. It clocked in at $51 million. It underperformed by 50% off the low estimate. That is a horrifying number for Disney. Terrible, terrible number for Disney. It, it got beat by Jurassic, Jurassic World. Hey, Jurassic World is, is a movie with, at best, mixed reviews. It almost got beat by Top Gun. Top Gun has been in theaters for a month. Top Gun still made 44 mil at the box office over the weekend, which is great. I like Top Gun. Lightyear was a dog, and it's a G-rated kids movie. You know how bad you have to misfire with a Pixar-produced G-rated kids move on Father's Day to come in at 51 million bucks? You have to misfire dramatically. Now, what's funny is to watch the media try to cover up the reason why Lightyear failed at the box office. So Deadline, MovieWeb has an entire article. Why did it fail? Why, how, how could this have happened? So they say, well, you know, Lightyear's mixed marketing campaign. Lightyear is a high concept premise. 
actually making the film which is referenced within the Toy Story universe that inspired the Buzz Lightyear toy line. While a fun exercise, the film by its very nature was likely going to confuse some audience members who would question where and how the film fits into the Toy Story franchise. Pixar tried its best with TV spots letting audiences know this was the movie Andy saw, but it's such a niche meta idea, the general audience may not have been sold. Also, Pixar has been releasing its films on Disney Plus because of the pandemic. So they released Onward back in March 2020, and then they quickly put it on Disney Plus because of the pandemic. In December 2020, Disney released Soul on Disney Plus, and the movie performed so well on the streamer that they sent the summer film Luca to Disney Plus as well. 2022 was supposed to be a return to the cinema for Pixar. But early in 2022, they sent Turning Red to Disney Plus, which meant three Pixar films in a row were sent to Disney Plus for no additional charge. So maybe people just got used to sitting at home and waiting for this stuff to pop up on Disney Plus. The problem is that, that does not answer the question because there have been other kids films that actually have done pretty well this year. There are a, there are a bunch of movies, I mean, including, by the way, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, which did really, really well at the box office. There was another movie. I believe it was called The Bad Guys that did... Pretty solid box office. It made $230 million at the box office. And nobody ever heard of that movie, the, the, the bad guys. I'd never heard of it. It was a DreamWorks production. So no, this excuse does not work either. They say, well, you know, there was Father's Day competition. No, there wasn't. There was no other kids movie out. The only movies that were out were Jurassic World Domination, which is for, you know, teenagers and older, and Top Gun, which is for teenagers and older. So they have like 10 different re reasons why this movie failed. Uh, new, <laughs> new. The reason that this movie completely failed is because they decided to make an entire marketed Disney film and build the marketing around how it was LGBTQ plus positive. That was the entire marketing of the film. If you read headlines about the film, it was Chris Evans talking about how you were a bigot if you didn't want to watch two women kiss in a children's film. How you were a terrible person and they were going to make this the norm. That was Chris Evans' direct language. They also got rid of Tim Allen, who was the voice of Buzz Lightyear because he happens to be conservative. And instead, for no reason at all, they cast Chris Evans. Again, makes no sense. Tim Allen is one of the most iconic movie voices in history because his voice for Buzz Lightyear makes the film, part of what makes the film, right? Tom Hanks and Tim Allen was the entire thing. Okay, so they did that, as Patricia Heaton pointed out, really dumb business decision. And then on top of that, they were like, by the way, if you want to prove your woke bona fides, take your small children to watch two women kiss as they form a lesbian nuclear family on Father's Day. Yeah, I can't. Why did it fail, guys? It's a big, it's a big mystery. It's a mystery wrapped in a, keep, Keep talking about how you don't know why it failed. It's just such a mystery. It's just a giant big mystery. And by the way, it was about the marketing campaign because Pixar has made LGBT references in other Pixar films. In Onward, there's a very open lesbian reference. And there's a, there's a, a female cop, animal, or everybody in, in Onward is, is an animal. And, um, and the female cop is lesbian. And they make a pretty obvious reference to that in the film. But it skips right by the kids. So there's no way that the kids would notice this. Here, they decided to actually depict the lesbian family, and a bunch of parents were like, no, I'm not interested in that. And they built a marketing campaign, Pete Buttigieg style, around what a bigot you are if you don't do exactly what they want you to do. And then it failed. And the backlash is coming, and it's coming strong. Meanwhile, World Swimming has now banned transgender athletes from women events because they looked at the fact that Leah Thomas is a giant dude and was beating up all the ladies and, uh, and decided, hey, wait, we don't want to do that. According to Yahoo News, World Swimming's governing body has effectively banned transgender women from competing in women's events starting on Monday. FINA members widely adopted a new gender inclusion policy on Sunday that only permits swimmers who transition before age 12 to compete in women's events. The organization also proposed an open competition category. This is not saying that people are encouraged to transition by the age of 12. It's what the scientists are saying, that if you transition after the start of puberty, you have an advantage, which is unfair, said James Pierce, the spokesperson for FINA president Hussein al-Musalam. 
he said to the Associated Press, they're not saying everyone should transition by age 11. That's ridiculous. You can't transition by that age in most countries. Hopefully you won't be encouraged to. Basically, what they're saying is it's not feasible for people who have transitioned to compete without having to. Well, I'm glad to see that reality is setting in, at least a certain, among a certain subset. The battles over reality are going to get worse and worse because the left has insisted on ignoring reality for far too long. When the backlash comes, it's going to come from two directions. One is going to be from the far left, which says, you guys were insufficiently loyal to our ideals, and so we will punish you for that. And one is going to come from the moderates and the right. We're going to say, you guys were so wedded to your ideological commitments that even the stuff you were saying that was true was infused with lies. In the same way that you said you were in favor of, of capitalism, and then you were like, yeah, but let's put a bunch of environmental social governance standards on the stock market. Let's cram down diversity standards on your board. Let's make sure that you can't trade on the stock market if you're an oil company, right? There are a lot of people in the moderate and right who are like, that's bad policy. And it looks like you're in hock to the very people who are trying to destroy you. That bifurcation is only going to get worse over time. And you know what? Maybe that's not a bad thing. The reason I say maybe that's not a bad thing, to, to paraphrase my friend Dennis Prager, clarity before agreement. I'd rather have an honest leftist telling me what they honestly think so I can fight it than a bunch of people lying to me about what traditionalists they are while they push abortion, same-sex marriage, and socialism. All right, we'll be back here later today with additional content. In the meantime, go check out the Michael Mills Show today. He discusses the pushback on porn in libraries and school by parents. You can hear more details about that story over on Michael's show. That's available right now. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to the show. Help spread the word about The Ben Shapiro Show by giving us a five-star review and sharing the show with a friend. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to check out some of our other Daily Wire shows. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Bradford Carrington, executive producer Jeremy Boring, supervising producer Mathis Glover, production manager Pavel Wydowski, associate producer Savannah Dominguez-Morris, editor Adam Saievitz, audio mixer Mike Coromina, hair and makeup artist and wardrobe Fabiola Cristina, Production coordinator, Jessica Kranz. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2022. The head of the World Health Organization believes COVID originated in the Wuhan lab, according to a new report. Time magazine spends a year taking creepy photos of gender expansive kids and two parent homes are collapsing in America. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show. Hey, 